Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. We love it that you're here, especially if you're new with us. Uh, we have some people visiting for a couple reasons. Uh, one, you just found our church and came, but we also have some people over here uh, going to witness a special day, and that's baptisms a little bit later today over here. In the dark, there's a big baptism tank, and what we're going to do is, uh, is celebrate. You guys are going to celebrate whether you're new or not, whether you know the family or not. We're going to celebrate uh, two people that have gone from death to life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, it's an exciting day every time we get to do baptisms. It's such an exciting day because this is the peak or the pinnacle of our faith. That uh, being a Christian, if you are new to the faith, new to the church, it's not about becoming a better person. It's becoming an alive person. That we were dead, we go down in the water, and God brings us to life through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to celebrate that in a little bit. And we always do this is if you have never been baptized, but you've placed your trust in Jesus, today may be your day. Uh, and you may be thinking, well, I don't, I'm not ready for that. Like, I don't know if I want to get wet. I got my nice clothes on, my Sunday best, right? We got you covered. We have clothes for you in the back. We'll have counselors in the back that would love to talk through any questions you may have. And maybe today is the day you say, I want to publicly declare in my life that I've gone from death to life in Jesus. So we'd love for you to do that. We'll have a little bit of time after the message for you to go get changed, talk to people, and so look forward to that a little bit later. Today we're back in Colossians in week 11. We have two more weeks in this uh, great book, and those two more weeks are going to take us to June 3rd, and it's going to take us to something that you got on this card. Everybody get this card when they walked in. Can you hold it up? Let me know you got it. Uh, this is June 3rd, our new location, where we're moving to. So June 3rd, we won't be here. Uh, we'll be where you see on this picture and on this map. And uh, that's our new location. I won't rehash the whole story of how we got there. You can listen to the last couple sermons uh, to, to hear that and to know that. But the short story is, unforeseen circumstances, we have to leave this space and break our rental agreement here. And we had to find another space. And if you can see in the picture... Uh, God provided a church building on Sunday mornings. We believe uh, that doesn't happen, that's unique and rare, but God provided in his strength and power and his grace to us. So we're excited about the future. And uh, June uh, 3rd as well, we're going to start a new series at the new location. Uh, we're going to do a series called Still Living. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 46. If you don't know, Psalm 46 has a classic verse in there that says, Be still and know that I am God. It talks about God being our refuge, and we're just going to walk through that psalm for four weeks and talk about what it means to be still, and maybe that's confusing. We're going to move to a new place, and it could seem like, hey, we're going to charge the hill and take this area for Jesus, and we do want to do that. We want to accomplish much in and through our church in this move. We're excited about that. I know as you go into the summer and into the fall, you want to accomplish much in your life, but before we go... We have to stop. Before we breathe out, we have to breathe in. We know that about all sorts of areas of our lives, like cars and our bodies, but spiritually, we sometimes miss that. So as we move to the location, we're going to be still before the Lord. We're going to stop as, as we look to go and see God accomplish much. So June 3rd, all of those things are happening. Excited for you to join us in that. Take this, put it on your fridge, give it one to your neighbor if you already know where it is. Today, though... Uh, Colossians. Get your Bibles open if you don't already. As Molly read, Colossians 3, 18, we'll go all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. And if this is your first time with us, uh, the book of Colossians is 95 verses, four chapters. 
And in those 95 verses, 15 times we see this phrase, in Christ, in God, or in him. And what we've said throughout this entire series is that the book of Colossians has a thread that runs through it. And that thread is maturity in Christ. And so last couple weeks, we talked about if we're going to mature in Christ, some things have to change in us, right? So we talked about putting some things to death. We talked about we don't put them in a box and get them out and play with them later. No, we put them to death, the Apostle Paul says. And then we put some new things on, like clothes. And so we talked about kindness and compassion and humility, putting the old self away, putting the new self on. And as we come to today, uh, this is where maturity hits home. Literally, it hits home. It, it hits home in marriage and parenting and work. Uh, in 2009, I graduated seminary. I had, uh, my wife and I had our first child. Two weeks later, we moved to Austin, Texas to be the associate pastor of a brand new church plant. So, graduated seminary. Two days later, had our first child. Two weeks later, we moved and I wouldn't suggest any of that unless you love pain, because it was very painful and stressful, moving with a two-week-old by itself, right? Much less starting a new job, starting a new family, and all those things in a new city. Uh, but what I vividly remember to this day is this picture of us getting moved in, stacks of boxes filling our new apartment. And I remember, I can see it to this day, looking on the couch in between all these stacked up boxes, and my wife was laying there asleep with my little two-week-old baby. I remember that. And I remember what was going through my head as I saw my wife and my two-week-old baby sleeping. I remember thinking this. I am in over my head. And not like I'm in over my head like I'm such a lucky guy or I outkicked my coverage. Like that was true. Like I, I was in over my head like I didn't deserve this. But I was in over my head like I don't know how to do this. And remember, I just graduated seminary. So intellectually, I kind of did know how to do this, right? I knew some information about what it meant to be a mature believer in Christ. I knew some information of what it meant to not only for myself to lead my family to maturity in Christ, but to lead other people to that as well. I knew some information. I had the information down, but what I didn't have was the implication. I was in over my head. Now, all of you sitting here today, married or not, you've experienced moments in your life where you think, I got the information, but I don't, I don't have the, the implication. I don't know how to do this. I'm in over my head. That's where we are in the book of Colossians. Paul has been talking about maturity in Christ, even the last couple weeks, kindness, humility, patience. Put that on like clothes. I had some information, but now he gets to the implication. All right, what does that look like in our, our marriages? What does that look like in our parenting and in our job? So maturity hits home. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me just say this. We will talk about marriage and parenting for the majority of this sermon. And so I know a lot of you, you're single. And so you don't need to check out and start playing Candy Crush on your phone, right? Uh, you need to, to check in with me here, and here's why. Because if you're single, I'm not married, I'm not a parent, uh, the reality is you may be uh, one day. Uh, you may desire to be a husband or a wife, to be a parent, 
And this is going to help you to know what to look for. It's going to help you prep for some things so you don't have to experience the pain later because you didn't know these things. The second reason you need to tune in here is because we do have a lot of married couples. We have a lot of parents in this room, and they need you to pray for them. And they need you to lock arms with them as people in the family of God and come alongside them as they do marriage and parenting. So everybody check in. Let's look at the verses together. Colossians 3, verse 18, it says this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, ladies, I know you have these verses taped to your mirror, <laughs> on your dash. Right? I know you got it memorized, like submit, submit. I just love that word. Like some of you this morning, somebody was like, hey, what do you want to do today? And you were like, I don't know, submit. Just kind of feeling happy. I want to submit. Right? Probably not, right? Uh, this is not one of those words. Forget women, anybody uh, that gets excited about submitting, right? I don't know many people like that. And so we're going to talk about what does this mean and what does this not mean. First, what does this not mean? First, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that the man dom dominates. Right? It doesn't mean that the man dominates. Uh, this isn't servitude. This is submitting. It's yielding your will to another willingly, First, you need to know, nowhere in the Bible does it command you to submit against your will. This is something you willingly yield before God, right? And so this is not about a man dominating you and making you submit, right? A little bit later, we're going to see what the man is called to do, and it's love. Ephesians 5, parallel passage to this. It says, to love is Christ, love the church. And what? He gave himself up for her. Right? It's the man that serves. It's the man that gives his very life. Right? So this doesn't mean the man dominates, the wife submits, as you may have heard or misheard at some point in time. Second thing this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean you submit to every man. It means you submit to your man. Right? Notice, look at the text. It says, submit to your who? Your husbands. So women in this room, do you need to submit to the other men in this room who aren't your husbands? Do you have to submit? Now, maybe if you work for a boss that's a man, there's some level of submission. But do you have to submit to other men in our culture? No, you have to submit to your man, not every man. Third thing, which I, just, I wish I didn't have to say, but this, is, this does not mean that you submit to sin or abuse. And I wish I didn't have to say this because it should be obvious if you know the character of God and you know the covenant of marriage. But I think in our culture today and some horrible lapses in judgment and execution as the church of Christ. Uh, we have done a bad job, so I, I feel like I need to say this and make this clear. You submitting to your husband does not mean you submit to sin or you submit to abuse. How do we know that? Look at the verse again with me. It says, you submit as is fitting in the Lord. This is as to the Lord, a way of serving God, not in the place of God. Right? You submit, we're going to talk about, you submit to your husband horizontally, because it's a picture of your relationship with God vertically. It's a way to serve the Lord, but it's not in place of the Lord. And so if your husband calls you to sin, you submit to God. You don't submit to him, right? If your husband is abusing you physically, spiritually, emotionally, you ultimately submit to God. You don't submit to him. You submit to a God who does not subject the weak. He protects the weak. That's the character of God. 
you submit to that God in that moment. You, you submit to a God who established the covenant of marriage, that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. It means that spousal abuse, one way or the other, is not just cruel and unlawful, and it is, but it's blasphemous before a holy God that says marriage, it's not yours, husband. It's not yours, wife. Marriage is mine. Marriage is God's. It's a covenant that resembles the covenant of the bride of Christ to Christ himself. And so when a husband abuses a wife physically, spiritually, emotionally, verbally, that's not just cruel. It's not just sinful. It's blasphemous. You are tainting a picture of the holiness of God, of the love of God to his church. And so practically, if you have been abused, if you're experiencing abuse now, if you know other people and you're wondering, what do I do? I mean, wives are supposed to submit. How how do I handle this? Here's what you do. That woman should be leaving that house, leaving that place where she is experiencing abuse. She should call the authorities. She should notify the church so she, she can be cared for, so the church can discipline that man, and you should get to a safe place, right? And so if you've ever thought, um, Submission means that if you've, if you've been abused in your life and you thought under the authority of the church, I'm supposed to submit to this and just take it because that's God's call in my life as a wife, I'm sorry. I apologize for that because that's not the character of God. That's not the covenant of marriage. And, and I realize in that some of you may be like, well, of course, of course, like who doesn't think that? But the reality is there's some misinterpretations and people have misheard this and people have been hurt. And, and, and our desire, my desire as your pastor, is for you not to be hurt but experience healing. So this is what submission does not mean. Here's what it actually means. That word literally, submit, means literally to place yourself under someone else, to willingly yield to someone else. In the context of marriage, what it means is, is to honor to affirm your husband's leadership, that this is for your joy, this is for influence. How do we know that? Ephesians 5. Christians are called to submit to one another. This isn't unique to woman to man. This is something all Christians should do to some extent. Jesus, the Son of God, all-powerful, he submits to the Father. Was Jesus strong? The answer is yes. Was Jesus influential? Yes. Did Jesus submit to the Father? Yes. So the way God has designed this is to put on display joy, influence, support, encouragement, so that an onlooking world could look at a marriage where a wife is saying, I willingly trust my husband as he trusts Jesus. I encourage him. I support him. I submit to him. That as as our culture looks at that picture, that they would see Jesus. That they would see a a God who lovingly leads us and a church who lovingly and and, and submittingly puts ourselves before him. So there's joy, there's influence as we work together in the covenant of marriage in this way. Uh, Here's an example. A lady named Kathy Keller, who's the wife of a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller, Uh, she talked about this and what submission looks like in their marriage. And the way she said it is if we have a disagreement, uh, Tim, her husband, gets the deciding vote. 
And so she has a voice, she has a vote, they talk through it. But at some point, she's going to trust him and support him and encourage him as he leads. And so they had an opportunity to go to New York City a while back before they, were, uh, before they actually moved there to plan a church and to do all those things. They were moving from another city. And at one point, Kathy, the wife, didn't want to do this. And so they're having conversation after conversation, much like you've probably had in big decisions in your life. And at one point, Tim, the husband, says, well, hey, Kathy, if you don't want to go, then we're not going to go. And she says her response was, no, you don't. No, you don't put that on me. Your responsibility is to lovingly lead us. And so if you're going to make this decision, you have to bear the weight of the responsibility. Don't put that on me. Like, I'm going to support you. I don't know if we should do it or not, but you ultimately have to lead in that, right? But that's an example of what this can look like. So ladies, wives, this doesn't mean that you're passive. It doesn't mean you suppress your, your thoughts or your creativity. No, just look at Proverbs 31. Right? It talks about a woman being clothed in strength and dignity. Right? It says that she laughs at the time to come. I mean, can you just picture that? A woman who is clothed in strength and dignity just laughing. Like at all that's to come, laughing because she's confident. Laughing because she's, she is calm in the midst of a storm. Laughing because she's trusting Jesus ultimately as she trusts her husband. I think of my wife who's in kids ministry teaching right now. Which, by the way, she's in kids ministry teaching. She's not a helper like, she's not quietly off in the room while the man does his job. She's teaching, right? I saw her prepping yesterday. I know what she put into that, the creativity, the strength, the dignity that she put into that. I know this morning. I saw that, but I also saw my wife with our three kids, getting them ready for church. Amen. God bless her, right? Doing that by herself, which she does every single Sunday because I'm a pastor. I have to come here early. She does that with three kids, strength and dignity, right? As she prepares a sermon, right, as she prepares to teach creatively to engage little kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ who don't listen, right, and she gets them ready, and she showed up here by 9 o'clock, superwoman, right? How does she do that? Well, she's a woman who's clothed in strength and dignity, laughing at the time to come, She's a woman who's putting her trust in Christ, putting her trust in me as I put my trust in Christ for sure, encouraging me, working together, supporting me, submitting to me. But she's a woman of strength. Listen, she'd be the first to tell you, like, I'm not perfect in that. She's not. Right? She's not superwoman. But, man, she is living out what I see in Proverbs 31 and Colossians 3. Those don't conflict with one another. Right? This is a beautiful picture of maturing in Christ as a wife submits to her husband. Now, husbands, you're not off the hook, all right? Verse 19, look at that verse. It says husbands should what? Should what? Love. Love your wives, right? Now, now what's interesting is it doesn't say, now husbands, make sure she submits. Right? Wives submit. Now, husbands, you make sure that happens. You lord over her and make sure that happens. That's not what it says, is it? This is the woman's verse. It's directed to her. Wives, 
you submit, right? Men, this is not your verse to quote to her, to put up on the the mirror for her to be reminded, right? Don't do that. It's not going to go well for you. But not only is it not going to go well for you, that's not Paul's intent here. He says, wives, you submit. Husbands, you love. You play your role. You trust God with hers. Do you see it? Husbands are called to love. What does love mean? It's agape in the original language. It means selfless, sacrificial, covenantal love. Not even just committed, covenantal. You know what a covenant is? You're agreeing to step in unconditionally, right? You love unconditionally. You stay, you serve, right? That's agape love that Paul refers to. We're called to love our wives. Ephesians 5, again, the parallel passage helps us out with this. We're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that he gave himself up for her. John 3.16, for God so loved the world he, he gave, right? So again, this is not just horizontal. We get our cues vertically. How did Jesus love us? How should husbands love their wives? Well, how did Jesus love us? Well, he, he gave, right? He did. That love does. Love moves. Love is action-oriented. It's not just a feeling. It's not even just something we say. It's something we do. So if my wife asks me to mow the yard, but my response is, babe, <laughs> I love you. Well, can you, can you get out there and mow the yard? Can you do that? Well, I just, I was thinking about it today and uh, mow the yard. We'll talk about that later, but um, I just really love you. My wife's reaction to that, anybody want to guess, right? I don't feel the love, right? How's she going to feel the love? I crank that lawnmower up. She hears the beautiful sounds of the lawnmower at work. She sees me outside, her little husband just going along, mowing the yard, right? Tackling the weeds. How does my wife know, she, know that I love her? Is it because I say it or say I feel it? Because I, I do it, I show it, I demonstrate it. For God so loved the world, he, he gave, he did. Love, love moves. That's the agape love that Paul is talking about. Love not only does, love listens. Right? Love listens. That, that husbands, the way you can show your li- love to your wife is not just by, by doing things, but it's by stopping to do things at significant moments. When your wife is sharing about her day and the struggles of her day and how today, later on, maybe my wife comes to me and says, hey, it was crazy teaching the kids, getting the kids ready. I mean, you should have seen this. You should have seen what Tanavi, our littlest, did. I mean, she was just snotting out all over the place. And as my wife starts to tell me that, possibly, I don't know. She's over there. I don't know what's going to happen, right? As my wife tells me that later today, a response, a loving, agape response is not uh-huh. Yeah, I know that must have been hard as I scroll through my phone. Right? What's a, what's, a, what's a loving response? You listen. You listen with your face. Right? You get it all in there. So, yeah, tell, tell me about that snot. Like, what, was it running down her whole face? Was, did you have a Kleenex next to you? Like, tell me about that getting the kids ready for bed. Like, you listen with your whole face. Right, love does, love, love listens. 
That's what Paul is describing. As husbands, lead as wives submit. This is the picture you need to be picturing in your head. And some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, I mean, that sounds great. Maybe your wife's great, but my wife is not very lovable. I've tried to do. I mow the yard once a week. right? I spray the weeds. I listen. I try to listen when she talks. But she's not very lovable. She doesn't receive that love. I've tried. And the question I would ask is, how long have you been trying? How hard do you try? Because the reality is, we're doing premarital counseling with a couple right now. Uh, we get ready for a wedding, right? We, we try really hard for a wedding. The day itself, the marriage as it begins, right? The logistics, the details, the wedding ring, the marriage license, all of those things, right? We try really hard. And some of us try for a year. Some of us plan that out put all the effort and energy in that for a year, sometimes two years, sometimes nine months. We do that for a day. How much harder should we prepare for a lifetime, right? How hard have you been trying to love your wife? Because as we look at, again, the example of Jesus, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, well Christ, he forgives us, even though he knows we're going to do the same thing next week. He loves us even though we don't deserve it. He sacrifices for us. He pursues us over and over and over again when you are sitting on the side at the very least indifferent to him, negating his influence in your life, distracting yourself with so many other things, not listening to him, and maybe a little bit more than that, rejecting him, giving him the Heisman, stiff-arming God, and what does he do? He just keeps coming. He keeps loving you. And listen, we're hard to love. You're hard to love. But Jesus keeps loving you. You love your wives as Christ loved the church. You keep going. You try. You get creative with flowers, with coffee, with candy, but also with listening and doing. Right? This is the picture that Paul paints of marriage. It's a beautiful one. It's not a perfect one. Right? The reason we have to try to do this, women, the reason it's so hard to say the word submit, much less do it, right? I mean, you try to say that with some, can't even say it. That's hard to do that. Men, as I just called you to love your wives and keep going, no matter their response, that's hard, right? But just, just look at your relationship with God. God's perfect. You're not, right? But God is. Is your relationship with God hard? Yeah. Is it difficult at times? Yeah. That's vertically. One half is perfect. Horizontally, both are imperfect. Both are sinful. This is beautiful, but it's difficult. Right? So you need to give yourself some grace in that and knowing that this is a beautiful picture, but it takes work. It takes effort. Right? But when it plays out, as Paul calls us to, as the whole Bible calls us to this in marriage, it's a beautiful thing because you're both sinful. Right? Because you're, you're fully known and fully loved. Right? You're laying your life bare. If you're not married, you need to know marriage exposes things like nothing else. Right? But when it exposes those things and, and your spouse still says, I love you. And I know everything about you. There's not a more beautiful picture than that, amen? 
I mean, it's a grand, beautiful thing, but it's hard. Because we're imperfect and we're sinful, but there's grace in that. The next thing we see, that's marriage. We do the whole sermon on that, but we won't. Parenting, look at verse 20. It says this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, children obeying your parents, that's something we can all get behind, amen? Even if you don't have kids, you're like, put that on a coffee mug. Love that verse, right? That'll preach. I was, I was watching a, a college uh, church service, and they were talking about this passage, and they were, um, it was parent weekend. So all the parents were in town in the church service, and they were saying, children, obey your parents. They were reading uh, this passage, and as they said, children, obey your parents, all the parents cheered, like, really loudly, right? They were championing this verse. And listen, we love that verse, and I think we maybe have a couple kids in here, and, and you should obey your parents, right? The way we say it at our house is you, you obey right away, you obey all the way, and you obey with a happy heart. Have you ever heard that? That's, that's hard to get them to do, but we, we shoot for the, the skies, right? It's a big deal. We want our, our kids to obey. You see it in the Old Testament, that you're to honor your father and your mother. That comes from the Ten Commandments. It's a good thing to honor, obey your parents. But then he quickly moves to fathers or parents. And maybe as you look at that, it says fathers don't provoke your children. Why does he just start with fathers? Like, does it not include the wives? Well, surely it does. He's talking about this marriage relationship between a husband and a wife, a father and a mother. In Ephesians 5, again, we do see both of those roles in this parallel passage in Ephesians 5. So it includes the women, but it starts with the husband, with the father. So fathers, don't provoke your children. If you think about in our culture today, this was written a long time ago, but Paul knew in that time and in this time, in our culture we don't have a problem with fathers stepping up and taking too much leadership. Do we? Like if you were just to span our culture, look at all the issues, all the violence, the racism, the crime, the loneliness, depression, you couldn't look at all those things and, and say, you know what the problem is? Father's leading too much. <laughs> I mean, those fathers are just lovingly leading way too much. We couldn't say that. In fact, we say the opposite. Many of those problems are because the fathers aren't leading at all. They're definitely not lovingly leading. So Paul starts with the fathers in that culture as in our culture because the fathers need to lead the way with their kids. What does this mean? It says don't provoke, don't exasperate. Some translations may say that. It means two things. One, you're not overbearing on your kids. So fathers, don't provoke your children. You're not overbearing. That means you don't put up barriers. You don't provoke your kids by putting up barriers, by being a helicopter parent, right? So I have to learn this in my life. As I come home after work, like many of you dads do, I come home and I'm tired from a long day and I walk in and I see maybe sometimes hypothetically, you know, things are dirty in our house, just occasionally, and... Um, in the playroom, I see, man, there's, there's toys all over the floor. I step on Legos and I almost injure my foot permanently, right? Like that happens when I come home, dads. Does it happen to you? Okay, maybe just me. But 
happens for me at my house. And so I come home, and, and what do I feel the inclination to do? Hey, didn't we tell you to put your shoes in the shoe basket? Hey, you guys, you guys know how to clean up stuff. Hey, why are you? Get off the phone. Like, nobody said you could grab that device. Now, picture, I just got home. My kid's first experience with their dad is, why don't you? How could you do this? What am I I doing? I'm provoking my children. I'm putting up a barrier between me and my kids. Now, does this mean I shouldn't discipline my kids ever? No. It doesn't mean that. It just means it should be more like an Oreo, right? That I come in, and that first level of the Oreo, so good. Hey, I don't care about the Legos right now. I just want to talk to you. How was your day? Neela, my nine-year-old, how was your day? How was school? Let me just listen to you talk about descendants, right, and all these other sanctifying things for me. Like, I need to hear that, right? How was your day? Oh, buddy, my five-year-old, what would you do at school today? Oh, he... Your friend Jack did that to you? Oh, man, Jack is crazy. Like, and I have that conversation, and then maybe we're eating dinner, and I'm like, guys, hey, before we go to bed, how about we clean up some of the playroom, right? That's the cream and the Oreo. That's the middle. And then I come back with, hey, we're about to go to bed. Let's read scripture together. Let's pray together. Let's be thankful. Let's talk about the best part of your day, the worst part of your day, right? So is there... Affirmation, yeah. Is there discipline? Yeah. And they're both coinciding together because otherwise, if we're overbearing, we provoke our kids, right? And so my wife will have to remind me sometimes. I get, I get frustrated. And she's like, Tim, they haven't seen you all day, and this is what they see. Like, yes, we need to tell them that, but they also need to see your compassionate, loving side, right? And so Paul is starting with the fathers because we know that we need that. We don't need to be overbearing parents, fathers, or mothers. The second thing is we don't need to be disappearing fathers or mothers either. I've met with so many people over the years who are dealing with pain and conflict in their family, and you start to get to the root of that. You ask a few questions, and it always goes back to, well, I didn't really have a dad. I mean, I had one. I mean, I have a dad, but I didn't really know him. He wasn't really there. Or he was there, but he wasn't really there emotionally, right? So, fathers, you can provoke your children by being overbearing, but you can also provoke your children by being disappearing. We see that all the time. And Paul says, don't do either one of those. And so as parents, we say amen to children obey. We're charged with cultivating that obedience. And listen, not just because I said so. No, we cultivate it, how? In Christ. We mature in Christ. We cultivate obedience in Christ. You look at the book of Proverbs. A section of that book is written from a father's perspective to a son. How does he coach? How does he lead? How does he parent his son in that moment? He doesn't just give him the what. He gives him the why. If you read the early chapters in Proverbs, you'll see, "Hey, hey, son, don't go this path folly. No, instead, go this path of wisdom. And he gives them the why. Well, hey, this path is going to lead to destruction. This path, this woman, I mean, she is seeking to prowl around you, to jump upon you, and she looks sweet, but she is not. She's sinful. 
And so this is where that lead. Here's the why to your what. Right? Over and over in the Bible, we see there's a why, there's a what. As we raise up kids and, and cultivate obedience in the gospel, right? we give the why and the what, even when it's hard, even when it feels like your kids aren't listening. Because again, this shows, this puts on display not just the horizontal relationship with your kids. It puts on display a heavenly father who parents you like this, right? who leads you like this, who gives you the why behind the what. 66 books of the Bible showing us not only what to do but how to do it in a loving, bold way. And this doesn't mean this is not challenging. Just like marriage, this is challenging. Why? Because we are sinful, our kids are sinful. I remember when my oldest daughter, she's nine now, but when she was around four years old, she started listening to the radio more and actually picking up with uh, what lyrics were saying. And I remember a song came out around that time that talked about this. It said, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number. Call me maybe. And I remember she started listening to the song. I don't know if you remember that song. It was all over the place. Right? So she would hear it all the time, and I would hear her in the back seat singing along, four years old. Hey, I just met you. This is crazy. Here's my number. Call me, maybe. And, and in that moment, I'm just like, Jaya, we're shutting down all radio communications. Like, if you know me, I don't really love mainstream Christian music, but I was like, safe and fun for the whole family. I can get behind that. Like, can we donate? Like, we need more of that because this is challenging because our kids start to be influenced by culture. They already have a sinful flesh and heart. They're exposed to sin. They're exposed to all these distortions. You as a parent are sinful. This is challenging, right? But that's why we come to Christ. That's why there's not just Colossians 3 and Colossians 4. There's Colossians 1 and 2, right? where it says you have died to your old self, your old behaviors and old barriers, you have been raised to new life in Christ, that he does that in you, through you. He empowers you to do this, right? This isn't up to you. God does this through you, right? So we have Colossians 1 and 2 that see us empowered to live this way in our marriage, in our parenting, as we mature in Christ, even when it hits home. A big prayer of mine for this church is that we would pass on our faith to the next generation, we looked at the new building last night. We did a volunteer appreciation. And I can just picture in that building, not just adults getting baptized, going from death to life. I can picture not just adults doing that, but, but their kids doing that. Right? And that not just adults being changed and, and connecting in community with one another, but their kids doing that. And that whatever Phoenix Bible Church looks like, that it would be leaving a legacy of maturing in Christ, not just for us, but for those who would come after us, right? That starts with our parents, and we come alongside that as a church. So that's marriage, parenting. Just briefly, we're going to look at work in our last couple minutes. Look at verse 22. It says this, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so we apply this with work. Paul actually talks about slavery. We've addressed this multiple times, so I won't go too deep into this right now, but you need to know the context of Paul's day was that over half of the Roman world was in some kind of slavery. It looked different than today. But they were in slavery, and so Paul is not trying to affirm slavery. He's giving dignity to the people that were involved in that system, right? And so today, we would say, slavery is wrong. Slavery is sinful, and Paul's not saying it's not. He's talking about a reality in their culture and how these people, as they mature in Christ, slaves and masters, there's a way to go about that in a godly, mature way. And ultimately, what we do know is that Christians, since this day, have been some of the most uh, strong advocates for breaking people free from slavery, that we take the principles that we learn from the New Testament, from the freedom that we have in Christ, and we've seen slavery be broken because of that, right? So this is not endorsing slavery, but the way we apply this, it doesn't apply exactly, is to work, right? We have employers and we have employees, and so Paul gives dignity to, to that relationship as we mature in Christ and says in verse 24 that when you When you work, whatever you do, you're serving the Lord. That even employers, there's no partiality in this. You're serving the Lord also, so there's a way you treat other people. Uh, As I said, we won't get into this too much. We won't do it. It's due diligence. We did that earlier in the year. We did a series, a full series on work. You can go back and listen to that. Um, But the reality is, just like in marriage and parenting, that we serve our employer as we serve the Lord. That this isn't just a a horizontal relationship, it's a vertical one as well. So, marriage, parenting, work. Three big aspects of our lives. Implications of our lives. Of what it means, not just to have information, not just to know principles, but to put them in practice. And so Paul gives us that. God and his grace gives us that, and we need to respond to that. So I'm going to invite the band up now. As we respond, we're going to respond in two specific ways. In a moment, we're going to take an offering, receive an offering, and give of our finances before God. Uh, Then we're going to do baptisms and celebrate that the only way we can do any of these things is because we were dead, but we've been made alive in Christ. So we're going to respond in those ways, but I would just ask you a couple questions as well as we take this time to respond. If you're married... As you look at this picture of marriage, what's one goal you could set this week? Husbands, what's one goal you could set this week to lovingly lay down your life for your wife? Ask that question. Think about that answer. Wives, what's one way this week you can show lovingly that you submit to your husband in full strength and dignity, but what's one way you can support and encourage your husband? Maybe it's he has some plans And maybe you've kind of been poking holes in those plans all the time. You're like, that's not going to work. I got a business idea. No way. Like, we're not doing that. We're not buying that house. And maybe instead of poking holes in your husband, you say, hey, why don't you tell me more about that plan? Let's do that together. And you lovingly support your husband. Maybe that's the goal for you. Husbands, love your wives. Maybe it's you come alongside your wife and say, hey, I just want to, can we just go sit on the porch and just talk and you tell me about your day? Your wife might pass out if you did that. 
right? Just, just listening with your full face. What's one goal for you this week? Parents, what's one goal for you this week of how you can not provoke your children, not be overbearing, not be disappearing, but lovingly engage, reading a story, talking through their day with them? What's one goal this week? This is a massive thing. It'll take our whole lives to be the kind of marriages, parenting, and even work that Paul calls us to. What's a baby step? How can you step into this when so many of us in our culture, we step out? You don't need to be nudging in this moment, right? You don't need to be elbowing. You need to be riding. This starts with you, husband. This starts with you, wife. This starts with you, parent. You don't need to be thinking about the other ways people do or do, don't, don't do this. It starts with you. So what is God teaching you in this moment? What's he calling you to? He's given you everything you need to mature in Christ, to do that at home, right? Let's respond to that, that good news together. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. God, I, I, I thank you that these men and women are here, that they can hear what your word has to say about what it means to be a husband, wife, a mother, a father. That many of them may think, well, it's too late for me. My marriage is already messed up. I messed up parenting my kids. I can't go back and redo that as a, as a worker. I don't do the best job with that, and maybe it's, it's too late for me. And I would pray in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit against that. It's a lie from the enemy. You have them here listening to this because it's not too late. You have them here at the appropriate time, the exact time. Got to realize how you have loved us and how we love others in our families, in our relationships. Today's the first day for that, for many of us. Today's a new day for that, for many of us. It's not too late. That's when we have the cross. So God, I pray that you would empower us to respond to this truth. Starting today, your mercy is new today. Help us respond and mature in Christ at home. Father, we thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.